If you don't survive, then what's the point? Ah, we need to rewind a little bit. And I never treat a woman right. Ah, not quite I'm almost there. Ah, there we go. Death by DVD. Classics. Welcome to Death by DVD Classics. I am your curator, Hank. So, what is Death by DVD Classics? Well, as you may or may not know, Death by DVD has existed for 10 whole years. That means 10 years of shows, 372 of them to be exact. All broadcast live originally, all these episodes were recorded and posted after the broadcast for download, making Death by DVD. Almost 400 hours of trash, insanity, movie reviews, my smooth sounding voice, and sometimes moderately entertaining material also. With the new Death by DVD starting, it appeared that all of these things were lost, like teardrops and rain. But no need to fret. We stored each episode safely in airtight containers in the bottom of an old missile silo in any town USA, so it's not time to die. We slowly, but surely, are restoring them to the best of our abilities to re-release to you, our adoring freaks. Ah, er, <laughs> fans. Our adoring fans. So, without further ado, here is the first Death by DVD classic, which is a bit of a joke because this is fairly recent. One of our last live recorded broadcasts, in fact. Broadcast March 22nd, 2019, and originally titled Philosophy of the Dead, a George Aramiro retrospect, this episode initially didn't start as a segment. Alexander Nash and I had the idea to discuss the obvious and sort of evident politics shown in the body of George Aramiro's work, and after we had finished doing it, we both really dug what had gone down and decided that we could further apply this to other directors and bring forth a kind of new segment and something a little deeper than we've had to offer in the past. Not a lot of jokes, very heavy on philosophy and very political. So we hope you stick around for further Death by DVD classic releases and enjoy our very first one. Here we go. Whoa! So this is Radio Land, huh? The infinite turtle, the, the waves through the ether fuzz roll on forever. Roar! This is Death by DVD. I am your host, I, Alexander Nash, and with me, as always, is just some dude whose taxes pay your salary, dude. That's it? Just, I, yeah, all right, that's it. I'm, I'm a wild dude in black uh, rolling on the scene to discuss it's stuff. It's a pull from something. What's, what did pull. I pull it from, Hank? <sighs> it, your ass. It's a deep pull. It's a deep pull. Phantom of the Mall? <laughs> no, it's a Kids in the Hall reference. No. But anyway, go ahead. Oh. Well, we both went to the 80s and back. Uh, yeah, hey, welcome to Death by DVD. I'm some dude. <laughs> Taxes pay your salary. That's, yeah. It works. Uh, we were making maple syrup for a while, and uh, that's we don't do anything else. 
Your taxes pay no, for that. No, we've got stuff. We got stickers to make, and they're made. Yeah, that maple syrup and, money got funneled into a Cuban offshore account, and that got screwed up with some weird cigar wrapping incidents. Uh, now we've got stickers. We do it's a thing. Um, stickers and possibly a Winter Beast video commentary that might exist some days, and uh, <laughs> buttons. So if you're listening to this episode of Death by DVD and you have wanted stickers and buttons after 10 years and you feel like that's really kind of crappy, just wait. Because for the 10-year, we're actually going to have a lot of neat stuff, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I was thinking of maybe doing, like, maybe a special Death by DVD. Good. Well, I, I've got ideas. Yes. You know, like, I was thinking about maybe a yes. Death by DVD crack pipe. Uh, like, novelty crack pipe. That's you know? not positive. No? That's not a positive thing to do or say. I was thinking, like, Death by DVD sobriety coins, then. Like, two different spectrums. What do you think? That's not bad. I actually like that one. See if you can get that one worked up, man. Yeah, and then it can actually say don't do crack. Um, I don't know. We're a really anti-crack show, but yeah, we've got stickers and we've got buttons. If you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, you can send a private message. And you will not be greeted with a nude photo of either of us. We will give you instructions on how to give money to our Cuban offshore account. And we'll send you some in the mail. The official Death by DVD fan club is what I'm going to call this. I'd call it the Death by DVD army, but Gene Simmons really is a negative guy and likes to – yeah, he he harshes the mellows. So uh, we don't have that type of money to fight him in court, so that idea is completely scrapped. So I figure these are the very first things we've done outside of very uh, cursed T-shirts that are out of print and will never see the light of day (laughs) again. people. Uh, I think four, actually. Ouch. Uh, um, it's like Christine. It's very dark. We, I guarantee you that these are not cursed. And see, well, the problem is I went to a cursed printer. And I should have known better, but they had a deal. And I'm a sucker for deals. This time I went through a legitimate business. So this is the Death by DVD fan club thing. You know, uh, I'm never going to have these stickers done again. I'm never going to do these buttons again. So you grab these. You grab them now. Uh, you're going to be special. You can show it to your friends. Question. Um, the question yeah. is on everyone's mind right now that only you uh-huh. can answer. Am I going to get a sticker? Oh, yeah. There's and a button. Extra ones printed specifically for I, Alexander Nash, and um, yeah. you will get them in, in 10 years. I do yeah, in 10 years. Every 10 I years, I bestow a gift. The mail. I don't. <laughs> it baffles me. It can. I wait, and it does the truck shows up and I don't know what to do. I, it, it's, you know, the world is scary. And the thing is, I, I was going to do like a segue and I was going to bring up like the living dead and yeah. And I just, I don't have anything. I'm just going to keep fucking talking and digging a hole. And I'm just trying to speed it up, you know, cause I'm just filling time and it's not working. I'm not, it's not funny. I'm not funny. Let's be honest. Oh, you're kind of funny. I'm amusing. You're funny looking. You're yeah. a funny looking guy. I'm a funny-looking guy. Do I amuse you? I don't want to uh, go into Joe Pesci. I could, I can do it, but I don't want to. Oh, please don't, please. You Joe motherfucker! No, don't, don't, not right now. Yeah. Not right now in the political climate. Don't, don't do Joe Pesci. Yeah, too much so, anti-Semitism to start this show off with. So let's move on to something else. Do you hate your life? Because, I yes. Yeah, I hate my life, and uh, segue, I was just talking. 
I was just. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm misleading. I put a little sneaky on you. Do you just want to take like a like a like a fucking freight train just plow into? I think that's the best. Just plow into the. Okay, let's just plow. This is this um, is a weird show. We came. We both. I came up with an idea, and then Nash really, uh, you know, t- took it full throttle because this is a subject you really you're fond of. So this is somebody you really oh, I, are fond of. I've got the info. I know things. You are well, our I supercomputer. Mean, it's it's not that we've never tackled this subject before, but I mean we've done a ton of Romero shows over the years. You can go back and find them, but we never really got specific because we're not really going to be talking about the movies per se. We will be. It's not going to be scene specific or isn't that fucking cool. It's going to be more about just the interior logic and the mostly the politics of what each of Romero's films is about. Not so much plot details and all that. It's just kind of what he was trying to represent with these films. I mean, we will get into stuff like Dawn of the Dead, which most people already know is consumerism and some other things. But it's going to be mostly that. We're not going to just sit here and talk about each movie like, wouldn't Monkey Shine's cool? That monkey's real cute. We're not going to be doing that. Although that monkey is fucking cute. Very cute. Well, the word politics tends to put a bad taste in people's mouth and makes you think of ideologies or makes you think of red versus blue or something. So I like the term more philosophy because uh, there's a varying theme throughout Ramiro's uh, multi-decade spanning career. Sorry, uh, lost for words there. But it's more of a philosophy that it evolves, it changes, but it still sticks to a core base of values. And I, I kind of like that because, it, yeah, he's political, and a lot of these things are balanced and come from a, a red versus blue thought process, but it's still more of a philosophy because it encompasses well, life yeah. after death, God, all sorts of things, sex, religion. The big problem with all this is, is you are putting a caveat on it like that, but – at the end of the day, no matter what we do because of the issues we will be talking about, you're going to pretty much figure out pretty easily that Romero was a leftist. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I don't want to get super political, but that's who Romero was. He was, and, he was on that left side. So, Well, I guess he might you know, discover we aren't exactly you know, red-blooded MAGA material either. <laughs> Notify some of the shows where you've said some – things hank that we won't Maybe. bring up you'll have, yeah. you'll have to go find those go find those i get political um, here and there it's during the cronenberg well, streak especially i got really well at this really point left. there's no reason i mean if you're going to talk about art you have to talk about politics and philosophy and everything else because it's all interspersed it's all the same basic thing because this is how people express their philosophic ideas and interest is through art and you might not get it with something like the Gotti movie with John Travolta. You probably not could get much philosophy or politics in that. Uh, although apparently is very pro Gotti since his family, his son was like a producer on the film and some other things. So it's a very pro Gotti film. Um, well, that's kind of but, funny though. I mean, the, out of all the cases and out of all the big mafia things, Gotti is you know explicitly political. There was a lot of stuff going on there, and that's the rise of Rudy Giuliani and you know a big right wing figure's birth was at that period in the the eighties and in New York. So it's odd well, that they would so, want to completely skip that out. So, well, it's it's more of it's a 
it's a biography that we're we're just going to talk mostly nice about him. We're just going to say well, these are the nice things. He was also a it's like Godfather too. Murder people. Yeah. yeah, they give you but, that sympathy for Don Corleone and uh, and Godfather too, and you know you go back and you think about it that yeah, did, should I feel bad for this guy? Like yeah, you're a poor immigrant, but you're also a murderous prick. But like, not all art has to say something, but good art usually does. I mean, and that's pretty much how you have to look at it. Doesn't mean you have to follow the art or, or follow the the concepts, the philosophy, the the politics involved, and agree with it. But it's just it's. How you see a vision of stepping into someone else's shoes and seeing it from someone else's perspective. Um, and Romero did that very well at times. I mean, all of his films are distinctly philosophic and at times political in their different ways. But there was kind of a familiar theme running through them all, which had a lot to do with commercialism and not selling out. I will get more specifically into that coming up, but um, he was very much a hippie. I mean, he, he didn't dress like a hippie in the 70s or the 60s. He wasn't like hardcore into Creedence Clearwater Revival or anything, but at his heart, you could tell he was very much into kind of hippie idealism and Later in life, when most of the, the hippies sold the fuck out for health insurance and became Reaganites and yuppies, um, people like Romero kind of stuck to the hippie values because ultimately that's what he wanted. He just wanted to make his art. He didn't really want to have to compromise, um, and he didn't well, most touching. of the time, and that's why he didn't end up making more films than he did because he just wouldn't compromise his vision a lot of the time. Touching upon something you said about um, you know, art showing perspective and you maybe stepping into someone's shoes, I, I feel also that art largely is emotion and you feeling anything, whether it's positive or negative. Uh, and yeah. in the previous shows, I have largely laughed and assaulted a guy named Lucifer Valentine, and I realize that that is an emotion. Thus, unfortunately, I, I think the guy's work is just fucking stupid. But that, I guess, is a form of art because it's emotion. So Ramiro worked very strongly with that as a theme. Yeah, repulsion, unfortunately, is art in, in any form. And it's it's almost funny because of what uh, you know a lot of my interests are in things like John Waters. It's two different spectrums of repulsion that you're working against, which Ramiro worked with uh, also. But his form of using emotion was on a more almost romantic level, I feel, on almost a classical level of making you fall in love with a character or an idea and then uh, sharply taking it away from you, adding that level of realism that you really don't get what you want out of life, which also is a political theme that no matter what side you're on, still there's going to be uh, a downfall, still there's going to be something not positive or a skeleton in your closet, that sort of thing. Using people well, against I mean, each other with another theme that's nightmarish, like zombies. It's not about the zombies. It's about the people. Yeah, it's always about somewhat the people. Uh, but like Romero always wrote very strong characters. I mean they were ultimately archetypes at a certain point, but to a point he wrote very strong characters. Later in his career, things got a little bit more muddled and such and such. But um, he always wrote characters that you can root for and hate, hate aspects of the character. So let's just go ahead and get into Night of the Living Dead. I mean – at a certain point, you're you're supposed to root for Ben, but there are also aspects of Ben that aren't fucking great either. Ben is smacks the shit out of Barbara. 
Well, yeah, he does punch a woman. She did slap him first, but he did he did knock her the fuck out, which is uh, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> there, there's a top, big difference. But... She smacked him. She's obviously hysterical. You don't need medical training to see that she's in shock. And I, I, it's, I, I never really thought about this, and it's funny we bring it up. I saw around Halloween, Night of the Living Dead on the big screen for the first time. I'd never gotten a seat in a theater before. And that scene hit me so strongly, and I'd never really thought about it because of what you just said. Ben is generally regarded as our hero of the story, and he, that's, that's a repulsive act, and that's planned. Like how David Lynch is just up his own ass with things planning and everything has a meaning that might not have a meaning to you, but to him, Ramiro is similar in that fashion, that every scene, every shot, every cut, every sound has a place and it's supposed to be there. And when Ben does that, that I, it's reminding you of the human, human nature of what is going on, that he too is under pressure and he is snapping. And just because he's in the lead as uh, the captain per se, doesn't necessarily mean he's, uh, you know, uh, Lancelot. He hits her because it's mostly out of frustration of the situation he's in. He has to control her. So there is – it's not that he's just running around socking women, but he has a reason for it. But does that that even matter? I mean that's a question you have to answer yourself. It's the same thing with like Harry Cooper. Harry Cooper is a fucking cock. I mean he's obviously probably – like honestly probably, but he's probably a racist first of all. Second of all – um, he's very much much like Ben. They share this common trait. They are very much into who's going to run the situation, who has the power in the situation, who's going to be making decisions. So well, I mean, you know, they're both two sides of the same coin on that. I disagree with you on uh, the racist card with Harry. I I really feel with Ramiro and what he was trying to do at that time that that might have played a little bit more forward. And I know they were trying to avoid certain ratings and certain things being said, but there's a lot of opportunities for race to be played with Harry and Ben. And I, I, the fact that it wasn't, I feel that it was more of that commentary, that it wasn't so much their race, it's a pissing contest. It didn't matter that one's black and one's white and when it comes down to the end, I feel that's when race uh, is is prominently displayed as a, a reasoning in the movie. But I just never felt it with with Harry and Ben. I really just took it as two egomaniacs going against each other. Uh, albeit Ben, I see he's not much of an egomaniac. I, I got to take that back. Harry obviously is because he never even tries to defend his family. He doesn't care about his sick daughter. He doesn't care about his wife. He cares more about cigarettes and being a uh, in the dominant position, he's not a family man. He he's more of a, has sociopathic traits than anything else. He cares about himself. Well, I he cares mean, about he getting wants himself to out. His family, ultimately at the cost of his own family. He's losing his family trying to defend them. I'm right. Just let me do what I want to do, Helen. And she's like, Harry, what, that matters, right? For you to be right and everybody else be wrong. And he's pushing his family away trying to save them. Which shows something about his character. It's just that's part of the, the egomania aspect of well, his too, character. It's just it ends up being more important that he's correct, and he turns out to also, be correct at the end. You got to look at the political climate going on, uh, the demand of pulling people out of Vietnam or taking more Marines and putting them in there and barricading themselves in the basement. We know we're not going to leave. We're going to fight. We don't really know what we're fighting for at this point, but we're going to keep it up. So that is, you know, he, he he wanted Ramiro himself. I don't think ever really wanted to be uh, an astounding, huge horror director. Not that any of the guys we idolize and talk about on the show ever did, 
But, um, you know, doing this, it, I think, was an attempt largely to make an art – I don't want to say an art film, but an artistic – a piece that has artistic integrity that speaks uh, with more volume, and it just became a drive-in classic. And, you know, years later, guys like Joe Bob Briggs and Chaz Ballin, you know, profoundly shined light on it in the political commentary. But at the time, it really didn't get I, – I don't feel it got that uh, attention. Well, I mean, it's inherently there. It wasn't that people were picking at it. Um, like picking at the scab, but people saw it. Like, um, there's a documentary on horror noir on uh, Shutter right now about black actors and um, black characters in horror cinema. It's not a bad documentary. Um, yeah, it was really fun. And the black community definitely related to it on a different level than like the white community because they saw themselves on screen and they saw themselves being battled by a group of white people, and that's how their particular like group saw the film i mean so it's going to, you're going to see it differently depending on what eyes you're looking through because our experiences are different this whole idea that there is no such thing as like a racial bias in this country it absolutely exists and we see it every fucking day well i know everybody's treated the same no they're not that's like what you tell your fucking self and if you can step into the shoes of someone who is not of your race and see it from their perspective, which that horror noir documentary does help with a little bit, that you can kind of see it from a completely different perspective. And from more of a black perspective, that character very much, if it was intended or unintended, that audience saw it as a black man fighting for what he knew was right and a bunch of fucking white people trying to step on him more. I mean, it's 68, so it's just business is fucking usual. No one's listening to it because he's black. Well, not even so much that uh, he's fighting for, you know, what he believes is right. It's just that they're going against him. It's just that he can't even be evaluated or given the time of day because of the color of his skin. Which but is a, a, a fair assertion of the film. I mean, it's very fair, even if it's not. No, intended. yeah, I, I absolutely agree, but I feel that there is a difference and you get a learning process or perhaps a representation of the hippie community coming together and joining, you know, at the time with the Black Panthers and standing up and marching with them when you have two characters that go out on a limb to support Ben and end up burning to death because of it. But they didn't necessarily die because they believed he was right. They believed that he was going to get them out of there. It was their own, uh, you know, lack of faculties that they died, but they did it because they believed that Ben was going to save them. That he was oh, yeah. a hero. Well, I mean, we've gotten into some odd fucking race. <laughs> uh, all the well, sudden, we're a... already into race in the film, but ultimately, what the, the film point. is about is upsetting the apple cart and what happens when you turn the apple cart over and how do people react to it? Because as we talked about before, the pressure cooker type situation, and what the film ends up being about is this a new world order not using like that specifically but you know new ideas rising up and ultimately consuming the old guard the people who are in charge and that's what everybody in the farmhouse is fighting against they're fighting against they're basically a bunch of fucking baby boomers who are currently fighting against progressive ideas that are coming through life changes and you have to roll with the idea of life changing. You can't just board up your fucking house and just like ignore the problem, just you know, whatever, stuff's going on out there. You have to 
like understand what the zombies are, what the zombies want, and work with that. And they are just fighting against the entire idea. Well, this couldn't possibly be happening. Well, it is, and you better fucking deal with it. And you better well, find you a, have... a way to live in this world the way it is now. Well, even against a boomers and millennial argument, what you have is the the World War II generation arguing against the hippies who are teaching love and showing yeah. that black people can drink from the same water fountain as you. It's fine. Their their children deserve to go to school because they're humans and exactly just like you. You know, same thing with Planet of the Apes, and that has to be. Uh, brought to attention that it, uh, yeah there are ghouls eating people and corpses reanimating and that is the infection of beliefs that these people are pressing onto you that this is this is how we are this is culture this is what we stand for so you have to be the same way next generation and obviously half of every generation more than half sticks to that because that's tradition and that's what you have to live by and that's xenophobia. The, you're, you're fearing the unknown, and you refuse to acknowledge that there is an entire world and things that have integrity outside of your beliefs. Yes, and with Nihiling Dead, uh, George answered these questions later in 1990 with the remake because at the end of that film, he really puts a, a fucking a button on it of like Barbara – figures out everything in the remake we can just walk right past them why are we sitting here fighting uh, fighting over this piece of land when really we can kind of learn to live with the zombies i mean that's not what she's saying at the end of the day but what her actions are is just we know what they're doing we know how they're acting just just walk around them yeah, we can get out of this away. smart yeah there's no point fighting in over who's king of the hill yeah, no one needs to be a leader when we can just walk away. Uh, again, comparing it to another movie, The Lord Humongous, if everyone had just fucking walked away and Max didn't stick his <laughs> goddamn nose in their business, nothing bad would have happened. Like, yeah, it's a shitty deal, but everyone would have lived. And if they already knew how to do the old trickeroonski, they didn't need all. None of that violence was necessary. Not a goddamn thing was necessary. And in the end, with Night of the Living Dead, everyone loses their lives. And it's not – why? What's the reasoning? Now, the remake, yeah, and that's something we do need to bring up because several of these films were remade, and they largely are different and don't stand for anything. This was a more – I don't want to say feminist-prone or feminist-driven movie, but it has a more provocative nature because the lead is a, a Ripley-esque female, and it pushes aside the race thing. Uh, Tom Towles, I think, is a bit more bigoted toward – um. Candyman, I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember Tony Todd's name. Yeah, <laughs> Candyman, the Candyman can. Yeah, Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, talk about racism, just comparing everyone now. Uh, it just is kind of dropped. It, I think it, it focuses more on no one's going to listen to the woman, which yeah, at the time and still now, it largely is a very important argument. But it's not a Living Dead. It's it's about race relations. That's the point. And remaking it and taking that point away. Like the Dawn of the Dead remake and the Day of the Dead remake, it just falters. It falls a little short for me. It just what ends up being what Nihiling Dead is about is just all this infighting control when the world is already pretty much done. We can clean this up right now if we just work together to figure out what to do as opposed to figuring out how to save your own ass. But everybody's just worried about their own ass. 
Yeah, they end well, up becomes, fucking, everybody, like, fucking each other over. Well, it's not even about covering their own ass. It becomes a point of, well, I, I'm so right. I'm going to make sure that you know I'm right, you son of a bitch. And it's about vengeance because they're just angry and butting heads. No one's even thinking clearly. It's, it's, it's bravado. It's ego. It's not focusing on the actual problem at hand. It doesn't matter in life if you're right. What matters is that you succeed and that you get survive things. Yeah, you have to figure out how to survive. You're not always right. If you don't survive, then what's the point? You may be correct, but if you don't live, then it doesn't matter if you were correct or not. So you ultimately, you have to survive. I, I agree. Right, yeah, well. no, I, yeah, I, did, I didn't have a follow-up because <laughs> I agree fully. I mean, Night of the Living Dead is one you can go on and on and on about, but at the same time, it's just going to be about the same thing. It's going to be about survival yeah. and then race relations. It's those two combined. Where do you want to go after this? Because, I mean, we can stay with the dead, but oh, we can we're going, just... We're going in order, baby. <laughs> we're going right down the line with Romero's oh. next film, which is There's Always Vanilla, which is probably Ooh. the least seen out of his entire catalog. Weirdly, uh, I've seen a it a lot. Romero, Rem- like, he says this is his weakest, said this is his weakest film. I personally don't think so at all. Um, it's just a Yeah, I, I never film. understood... When when I first heard about this movie and found it, it was on um, that, that Romero hated it, and it was his weakest movie. So I hunted it out, and I think something weird video uh, did a, a DVD release of it. And I eventually found it, and it, it just kind of baffled me, because it, it, it sure. I think, is... Pretty sure yeah, it's I think it's a DVD of Meat Blasters. Well, I think it's one of his more provocative movies, and it really sticks with you, and it's it's just depressing. It's like Martin, if you take the Very horror much. aspect about it, that you just kind of find yourself wondering where your life is going or what matters or if any of it matters. And should you just have fun? Is is that the point? Just just follow your dreams and well, have fun? Or is it what? What Does everything suck? I well, don't know. No, because the ending kind of upheavals all of that thinking. Because this is, this is like the dichotomy of Romero in all of his films, like Night of the Living Dead, where... Ben is your hero, but Harry Cooper ends up being right. And there's always Vanilla um, playing a little bit of plot just because not a lot of people have seen it, but it's about a free-thinking guy. You want to have fun, and you have too much fun, fun. and then you realize that you can't have fun all the time and everything largely sucks. Well, there's always Vanilla. Um, But it's about a guy who wants to always kind of live his dream life of just floating and doing whatever he wants, but he gets entangled with a woman who gets pregnant, and he doesn't know what to do because he's not ready to be a father, nor is he ready to sell out, which is another Romero thing. He's not ready to sell out you know, just because he's having a baby, and at the end of the day, what he ends up doing at the end is he just runs the fuck away from it. He decides not to deal with the situation. Um, So it's not like Romero saying this is the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, he he has to grow up, and that's what the movie's about. Is it's mostly about growing up. That all these ideas of free thinking, living however you want to do, doing whatever you want to do, that's great. But at the same time, you're gonna have to grow up, and you're going to have to take care of some responsibilities in your life. So well, he's he, well, he, I, he's I in think... the shoes of the protagonist himself. And it's almost like he's telling himself these things throughout the film. I think it comes to a point everybody's 
in everybody's life, though, and this is kind of a biographical thing that he tried to represent and allow people to see. And I think everybody goes through this and doesn't want to talk about it. But you realize that your friends are growing distant from you. You have no common interest with them. You don't have common interests with many people. You, you're your own entity and you don't know how to express it or where to express it. And you, you begin to internally combust. You don't know where to go or what to do and you feel lonely. So you try to fill that void with just exploring, having as much fun as humanly possible. And you end up like Jack Kerouac going down a road that just leads you to nothing. There's well, nothing at the end, end of it. Up, you just keep going. You end up fucking up uh, the woman you're dating and the child that you're having. You end up fucking them over for your own kind of selfish needs. And that's what the title refers to, and the title is very apt because uh, even the, the character's father says, well, there's always vanilla. There's always a plain Jane lifestyle. There's nothing bad with uh, – there's nothing wrong specifically with vanilla. You don't have to have a, a thousand different flavors of Baskin-Robbins. There is always vanilla to have. So I mean, I think, that's always a possibility in your life. I think the point is expressed with <sighs> – he knows that he can explore his dreams and continue things, and he settles in and moves in with his parents and gets a job, and then the girl has moved on and found a man that loves her, and they have a house, and he sends her this present and that opens with these balloons that come out and a note that says, you know, just remember the good times, which is just mm – -hmm. it's very reminiscent of Hemingway's The Sun Also Rises. At the very end of the book, they're sitting on the, the bench together, and he turns and he looks at her and goes, isn't it pretty to think so? And to me – that's just the fucking the the most heartbreaking, but and in, in incredibly beautiful thing that you could ever say or do. And this movie ends so astoundingly. It just it, it provokes that thought in my mind of just God. Just remember those good times, because isn't it pretty? Isn't it nice to think about in that alternate reality what could have been? It really could have well, been, I mean, man. And it's not. You shouldn't focus on that your whole life. You need to live in the present and move forward. But you still have to acknowledge the things you've done, where you've been, and yeah, sometimes they were good times. Not all, not every, not everything, not every experience is going to be great, but there might have been some good times in it. Just think and about those. Really, the character, even if he did, as soon as he finds out she's pregnant and he settles down and all that stuff, that would have been fucked up just as well because a tiger can't change his stripes. Because this is who he is, and he would just grow to resent them because he gave up his life for this. And it's something that a lot of people, I'd say most portion of people who get married and have kids end up dealing with is a certain amount of resentment for the people who radically changed your life. So you have to kind of, you know, you kind of have to eat vanilla sometimes. But he, well, sometimes. I mean, he would have never been happy with it and would fuck them up. It would have fucked up his whole family, and they, they would have gotten divorced, and it would have been even a worse situation if he didn't leave. But it comes to also to a point that you change your entire life drastically for someone and expect them to do anything. And they remain the same because you're the one that had to change or – you're the one that had to transition, and you become uh, enraged because you went through all this, and you know that is going to be a tidal wave of pain and suffering later for yourself and everyone around you because you never took the chance to pursue yourself or your dreams because you dedicated yourself to somebody else. And despite the great idea that we're all supposed to fall in love and there's someone for everyone, that's not entirely true. There's a difference between alone. Well, there's a difference between being alone and lonely, and. I don't think every human recognizes that, and you need to find that within yourself.
Are you alone or are you lonely? And should you be alone? Do you know who you are? Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what your purpose is? And that's where the character would have failed, basically, in the film, is he he would have never been able to realize these things about himself. He would always just go towards the resentment. He would have not been able to step outside of himself and see his life for what it is. And that's what would have destroyed everything. It's just he would have always been vindictive about it. Well, I'm not saying that every human being significantly has some great purpose on this earth, but you you can do something. You you are capable of doing anything. Uh, just on a personal note, I was talking to someone the other day, and I suggested they draw a picture, and they said to me that they can't. And I, that baffled me. What oh, do you mean yeah. you can't? You, you, you have ten fingers and two hands. You have a pen and paper. Yeah, you do it. Go ahead. And it's just this – Using that as a reference, you get this wall in your head that you can't do something because you've never tried it or maybe you've never been taught or shown how to do it. So you think you can't. And that's not true. You're capable of doing absolutely everything. You might not become the next Van Gogh. You might not be you good might, at it. Yeah, but you can, but you can fucking it do matter. it. You can, yeah, you can still do it. But in this situation, in this sense, this character recognizes and knows that and one of the things they know that they can't do to any extent is is be this person this father this figure this white picket fence happy person they like uh the great sam beckett and quantum leap decide to keep going yeah he would have had to because if he would have gone home (laughs) and then it would have rendered everything moot at that point it would have just been like all right generations of lives you would have ended up having a child that grossly was unhappy because they feel responsible for their parents not loving each other you know you have to look at the the deeper lining meanings and this is not really a political one i mean i guess if you you can find politics in anything like you said at the beginning of the show art is uh well art is a big part of politics and they go hand in hand uh, because art is dangerous and that is what that's what defines art. It's a it's a razor blade, and you can't handle it. On either edge, you're going to get cut, and uh, politics largely works the same way. But this movie's more uh, of an inner reflection and looking at the age George was, and you're around 30 when this happens. You're around 30 years old when you realize that your life is changing and you can't be this person all the time. And it's not always because you get some girl pregnant and you can't deal with it. It's just life. It's going to present itself a thousand different ways, and in this piece of art, it's – represented in this fashion of this is what's happening to this guy. It's given to you in a very extreme case because it needs to stir, stir, stir emotion. Well, and if you want to make it, I mean, the only way you can really make it political is not everybody is fit for nine to five. And if you can realize that about yourself, you can cause a lot of people a lot less heartache that you know who you are, you know exactly who you are, and you're not going to put everyone through your process. <laughs> Sometimes it's probably just better to step away from the situation. Not as saying don't pay your child support. What I'm saying is I would make a terrible father. I know I'm a terrible father, so I, I got to get the fuck out of here. Fuck um, at least go to the and, kid's birthday party. Yeah, and... Uh, much to that duality, uh, and there's always vanilla in Jack's wife or Season of the Witch, depending on what tile you want to go with, um, Romero's next film. It's basically a bored housewife who gets involved with witchcraft and how it affects her life over this, this period of 
basically the boredom that she's feeling. This left at home, you're, you're basically a work widow. Your husband works all the time. You don't really remember why you married him to begin with because the man you married is no longer the same because he has completely dedicated himself to making money for your family and you're the kind of resenting him for it. And, and it's not particularly his fault, but he's because men are kind of stupid. Let's just get into the, this part. Men are kind of stupid, and they think that just because Kinda. I've got a job, I've I've sacrificed everything for this job. That means that um, you basically need to suck my dick and shut up because well, no, I on. sacrificed everything for you. It's yeah. not necessarily so what? that. You chose it, to do that. Well, you you have to look at things at a caveman mentality. That most men are taught from an early age, this is what you do. You you go to work, yeah. you make money, and you come home, and that means you've done good. And formidably, in theory, like communism, that works. You're providing a roof, you're providing food, you're providing transportation, whatever money can buy that's needed for your spouse and kid. But what's lacking and missing in that situation is love, affection, uh, knowledge, passing down things. All you're passing down is this male-oriented, egotistical idea of you have to be uh, an alpha, you have to be mean, emotions make you sick, emotions are bad for you, and if you don't work, you're completely costly. I can't afford to have emotions because it's it's going to cost me something. You're you're taught that having emotions is a feminine aspect, that that's more of a woman's place, that you need to work. Work, fuck, kill. That's what life is. You go to work. You you get your food for fun. You go shoot shit. You drink beer. You you do whatever, and you uh and reward. You get to fuck, and that's what you're taught. And that's unfortunately society at large uh, pushing a machine of what people are supposed to be like in this ideal of male masculinity. Uh, and it's unfortunate because it's what ha- it's what happens to people. You just get this idea beaten in your head. You're a useless piece of shit if you're not out working that nine to five doing this job so people have this idea that they are entitled to these things you know i work i gave you food i put a roof over your head and you have clothes so i'm entitled to do whatever and that may be demanding sex or you know yeah you 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 it it, it could be for anything you know i sacrificed everything for you so therefore i'm entitled for you to sacrifice everything to me and i work 100 hours a week go fuck yourself yeah i never agreed to anything well, let's look at these two things. I want to work 100 hours a week, and I do all this so we have this house, and I want to come home and get blackout drunk. And if I hit you, I have to release some steam, and you shouldn't have been doing what you were doing. So let's translate that to you are born, and you, you live in a country, and suddenly you have to go to another country and kill people. What the fuck? Well, where's the entitlement for that? Well, we do all this work that you don't know about. We build roads. We built the school you went to. All those clothes we buy and send over. We get them from China and all these countries, and we bring them over here, and you wear them. Where do you think food comes from? We're paying for that. So, yeah, go over there and fucking shoot that guy. That's what we're telling you to do because that's our job. And I'm not saying that this is a, a whole commentary between war and politics, but – it's a. It's not a bored housewife that wants some dick. It's not, and she's not no, becoming a witch to put a curse on her no. husband. You know, it's not. It's neither of these two things. 
that's the 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 like the maquette it's based on. It's it's the underwire and a sculpture is what the whole witchcraft angle is in this movie. It's not so much that she's just bored. It's she's been abandoned by her husband. They once had something, and she's being honestly treated like a possession at that point, which is how uh, men treat their wives. I mean, up until like the 1960s, legally your wife was your possession when you marry like that's some bullshit i mean you need to look at a marriage as this is two people this is not we're one together go fuck yourself you're one together you're still two people and you still need to treat that um, other person with respect that person needs to be your friend not just your wife it's it's not it's they're two they're not two different things your wife should be your friend and not just your wife a possession just to Touch back on something real quick. Uh, the theme of this movie being witchcraft wasn't largely because of Night of the Living Dead or Ramiro trying to stay specifically in the horror genre. He was just using it with an artistic integrity, trying to uh, display the emotion that she's getting into something that was really wild at the time. Uh, what what year was this? This is 1972, so this is um, yeah. right around the time that the Manson family was going to court. So all the newspapers were really, you know, the the satanic panic was starting in the United States, the fear of witchcraft and cults and your kids being eaten and all that stuff. So he was using it with uh, an artistic point to try and show something. Again, I've used the word a lot tonight, provocative. Then that's a big thing I feel about Romero. He's provocative. And then touching on to um, what what you just said, because it's very important and and needs to be regarded. Uh, Romero had this this thing. I I saw recently George R.R. Martin. It was a meme of him somebody asked him, you write female characters so well, how do you do it? And he responded with, well, I think of women as humans, so I just write them that way. And Romero had that wonderful aspect. And you, I said it earlier, the strong female lead like Ripley, putting it in a type class, which is just a dumb thing to say, like Ripley, you mean a, like a, a strong human uh, just a, a normal person. It doesn't need to be defined by gender, but Ramirez specifically took women and gave them this this interesting aspect that you only saw with a lot of male roles. And I think that in a humanistic I- idea, he's trying to show you what I just said, that like we said with uh, Not a Living Dead, guess what? Black people are, are just people, and so are women. It's such a wild concept, but they're just like And they you. experience just, life differently than you do, so you need yeah, to kind of it understand or, how they experience it. But at the same time, believe it or not, a black man and a woman, a, a person of any gender, is the exact same as a white American male or a white European male, whatever you want to say. You're the same thing. Your, your genetic region of where you came from and lineage of blood is one thing, but you're a human, and so are they. We're the same fucking thing. It's not like Cro-Mags and Neanderthals are walking around and you can say you're a different lesser species. No, that's just not it. It's That's not true, and that's not facts, and it's just baffling that it even has to be fucking discussed. You know, it's, it, it blows my mind, but we're all we're all the same, every single one of us. And Ramiro captured that by showing so just dependently and strongly, here's a, a black guy doing the same thing as a white guy. Here's a woman doing the same thing as a white guy. A white guy isn't fucking Sir Lancelot. But yeah, you view her a, differently. Well, yeah, she's, a even a whore. Whore. she's a whore. What? Why? Because she needs some attention as well? Like Laurie and the Walking Dead. Sex, she needs attention and she's a whore all, all of a sudden because of it? Well, like, Laurie and the Walking Dead is a hated character and despised. 
her husband is in a zombie apocalypse completely lost, and she found solace in, in somebody. Of course, they did a whole big backstory about that, but calling her a whore is just – that's backward thinking. That's that's just not – she reductive it's, thinking is what it is. Yeah, you it's, know, it's not even that she moved on. yourself. Like you, well, you know you're what? so much smarter than everybody else. People don't like the, the aspect of human nature, but largely – Voids need to be filled, and some people want to fuck. You might not be sexual, and it might not be part of your life, but some people just want to fuck, and it fills the void of sadness, and it happens. It doesn't make you a whore. It doesn't mean anything. It, 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 and sexual nature doesn't mean... Sex has nothing to do with love. It has zero exactly. to do with love. <laughs> it's just a thing that we've... Well, no, you, you know, you have to promise yourself to, to me and only me. Why? I just want to have some random sex with somebody of no love or anything well that's disrespectful i don't really see how but whatever we're returning to a statement i just made about tradition and people feeling entitled to things and love is something that uh encapsulates you and is almost like a prison because you become obsessed with what you love and you have to preserve it uh even going back to that of living dead harry cooper might not have been an up and front family man but at the same time he was just trying to preserve the idea of his wife and his daughter, not necessarily them as beings. Not the and in this themselves. situation, well, in season of the witch, that's what the man, the husband figure, is doing. You know, he 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 loves his wife in a sense. He loves the image of his wife, but it's two strangers sitting possession. in a room. If no TV or music or anything was on, and these two people were forced to sit and talk to each other, could they fill an hour with interests about each other, or would it just be remember that time we did that? What about new things? What about growth? What about love is growth and learning something new every day and forming a friendship. I'll even say something as cheesy as I love you. We've been friends for quite a long time and we still learn things about each other. I would be very upset if something happened to you and you've fucked me a few times, but it was never out of love. It was mostly rape. It but was fucking. Still, yeah. It was, you had, uh, it was an experience of, Having an orgasm is like doing like doing ecstasy with somebody. You're doing you a lot had of an urge. It's the same thing. You, you had to get fulfilled. I was gonna make a, a, a taken in plain sight joke, and I can't remember what the guy needed. Have you seen that yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh no, you gotta watch that on Netflix. There is uh, ooh. They have to fuck in, because of aliens. I remember I've been told sight. that much. Yeah, you got to check that out. That is a hoot and a holler. Um, not not on subject, but <laughs> yeah. what we're what we're dealing with here is. Not It's not just thinking of someone as a possession, but it's the entitlement that humans in, in general – and it's not just men. We're not just closing this in on genders. It, it, everyone does this, and but it mostly happens with what you think is love. And what I want to say is most people that think they're in love or think they felt love or were in love, it was probably infatuation and obsession. And well, that's they, not healthy. You love ideas of people, not them. You have to love a person as a whole. If they're a fuck up, going back to uh, there's always vanilla. You have to be able to realize what you're capable of and your capacities and what you can love and what you're you can do. And if you can't do it, you need to leave. You you need to figure out a way well, to amicably leave. And sometimes it's not always going to be smooth or amicable, and it can be devastating. But it's change, and and change. 
is something that people fear because good. they're afraid of the fucking unknown. And going back to the farmhouse, they don't know what's outside. They don't want to deal with what's outside. They're going to fight with each other instead of dealing with what's outside because they're afraid of the unknown. At the um, the end of uh, Jack's Wife, what you end up getting is Romero puts a uh, – again, right at the end, he wants to point one thing out to you because she's now become the witch that was at the original party she met her first witch at. And someone asks her, oh, you're, you're a witch, and she smiles and says yes, but then she bows her head down and kind of glances down at her feet at what she's become. So you're getting that duality because she has freed herself, but in what capacity has she freed herself? She used to be Jack's wife, but now she's the local witch. She's still you know what it being is? grouped. Hmm. It's the new flesh. It's Videodrome. No matter what, there's always going to be something else coming. Your antenna may be up, but at what cost? Yeah, and she cost herself. I mean, she wanted, she needed all this change. She was tired of being this possession of Jack's wife, and she just became another possession to something else. Which now you're a slave to the scene. This idea of witch, uh, this idea of witchcraft, because now that's how she's known as. She still doesn't have an identity at the end of the film. It's she's like still being a being punker, known as a thing. Yeah, you listen to a Black Flag so, record and you think it's really cool and you want to be different because people understand it, and then you realize you spend five hours fucking every morning putting your hair up and making sure your studs and spikes and dead milkman pen looks perfect on your leather jacket that you had spent like three hundred dollars on, and then you're standing in a room with everyone dressed the same and the same shined up Doc Martens, and you don't think that you're the same thing you were when you started. You didn't do anything. You just changed what you look like. You didn't change who you are. No, and now you're a slave to that because now you're the punk rocker. You're no longer – but that's why most people do stuff like that is because they want to be something. They're tired of being overlooked as – But here's what know, the problem is. Nebbish nothing. But now the I'm first, this. Now I'm, but the first I'm time, in a group. The first time you don't wear your spiky leather jacket and you don't put your mohawk up and you just decide to wear your Vans and a white T-shirt, you're a fucking poser, sellout douchebag. What are you, emo? Yeah. You'll never fit in. And that largely just experience from life, moving in if we're going in order to the next movie kind of baffles the theme here. But you're never going to fit in no matter what you try to do and no Crazy matter what role. Yeah, that's what I mean. No matter what role you try okay. to fit into. And one of the characters that we're going to be moving into uh, had a role that they were just, they were the best thing at and could never break away from it. And it leads to their downfall. And I always thought that was interesting moving into the crazies because you got that military aspect and uh, being a hero. And again, you have the male ideology of, I have to be tough. I have to be a leader. I have to be successful. I have to protect what's mine. What's mine. What's mine. Possessions, humans, not how, what is the right thing to do? Well, how do we survive? And this goes a lot with themes of uh, Night of the Living Dead. Again, Ramiro worked with a lot of the same philosophy. And it's funny to me that people didn't delve deeper and really look and, and bring it up. I mean, in Europe, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Well, no, not, not even because I was going to bring up the Dawn of the Dead European cut. I don't know why I think that's the really long, detailed one. but the, uh, Argento, <laughs> Yeah, the Argento cut's much quicker, much less character-driven. I'm, I'm wet-brained. My fault. <laughs> well, I mean, like with with uh, the crazies, there's a lot about there's a lot of different things about the government and how the government is basically fucking stupid. They create a virus that they don't know how to control. They accidentally release it, or did they? Um, At large, so was it what I want to say? Not 
before you uh, go into your your big spiel, one thing Ramiro didn't like, and what you shouldn't like, and you should never like, and always fight against, is the man. The figurative aspect of the man, whether it's the government or the patriarchy or ignorance, xenophobia, it takes many forms throughout his work, throughout his, his filmography. Oh, yeah. But it's it's one thing, and you know it's not just Nixon, it's not just LBJ, it's not just your dad, it's not your boss, it's just everything that could form that. And I think in the crazies, and it's such an underlooked movie, it's so prominent because largely most of the characters are government people that know they fucked up, <laughs> and and they're apologetic, they're trying their darndest. You barely see any because they're wearing the masks almost the entire time. You see a few of the government characters, but mostly. They're a faceless force that is not been given even the, a, a good amount of information. They're just told what to go do due to this. And I think they're ended up killing civilians who may or may not have the virus because who can tell? Who dictates what's crazy and what's not crazy? So well, you begin to actually get a lot of Ramiro yeah. regulars here, and I don't want to call it like the cult of Ramiro, but you see throughout his work starting with the crazies a lot of the same guys and uh, – Brought up on the the last show, the Winter Beast commentary, a, a joke about Romero using the same people over and over again in dinner theater actors. His actors were all really just. It's it's almost sad sometimes when you watch George Romero movies like Martin, and you don't see these actors on huge giant stages being worshipped because some of these performances are just devastating. But with this, you get a lot of regulars. Well, you get you, some of these faces you're going to see. And these guys kept working with George, and you can tell throughout a lot of the roles some of these guys play, like um, the big bearded fellow. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. He reappears in Dawn of the Dead. Richard Liberty? Yes, Richard Liberty. He always is playing a very defensive, almost uh, left-wing, not apathetic, but largely annoyed character, and I feel he's representing a political climate in his roles, and it's why Ramiro brought him and used him because he could use that atmosphere. Uh, and in the crazies, he's one of the few voices of reason that is working tirelessly, almost sacrificing himself, which, unfortunately, his end is one of, to me, I, I actually, bringing up this scene, can't stand watching it. will usually make a point to walk out of the room because it affects me so much. It, 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 it makes me angry. It gives me such pure anxiety and such hopelessness that it unfortunately makes me think of I'm not saying my life, but just life in general, political climate, uh, going out. It's just it's just that pure anxiety of knowing you have to go to Walmart and talk to people and see these idiots that you don't like, and it just boils inside of you that everything you've worked for and tried and done just might fucking not matter. Yeah, I mean, he eventually gets the cure. And by the way, I got that name wrong. Because the guy you were talking about, I was thinking about um, the guy who wants to fuck his daughter. Dr. Frankenstein, that's Richard Liberty. I got the names all fucked up. But anyway, <laughs> the guy who uh, in the crazies is, like, gets nuts and wants to have sex with uh, Lowry, who's playing his daughter. Richard France, that's his name. There you go. See, I get those two confused a lot. Um, but the crazies is probably his I like, started running the film. alphabet through my head, and all I could yeah. think of was a country, Richard and France. I wanted to – yeah, I wanted to say Bob Spain for some reason. I was like, that's not right, but it's near Spain. I'm close. I'm very close. But, like, when I say messy, it's messy in even, like, the way it's filmed is is messy, yes. But even, like, 
the story well, messy, in but itself it's is a messy story. It's so yes, it's so much chaos because no one knows handle hand, how to handle any of this business, and the the hero guy tends to have. He just wants to get the fuck out. That's all he knows is I gotta get, I've got to protect my pregnant wife and get the fuck out of here. And meanwhile, everything else is becoming just a mess around them. And what do you do in that? Like, who do you trust? How can you like? How do you know you can trust this person? Um, you don't. And that was kind of my problem with the remake. And I enjoyed the remake of the Crazies. I actually think it's a, a really good horror film. But the the one aspect of the Romero that they missed was they made everybody look almost like a zombie. They started having obvious signs of some sort of infection. And that's kind of the whole point of the crazies is you don't know who's crazy and who's not crazy. So they, they I'll give you one the thing. boat on that one. Yeah. I love Timothy Elephant. I think he is a fantastic actor and almost everything he does is great. His performance was great. It, uh, to me was a mass produced, generic horror movie. Uh, and that's, I think a, a problem just, just looking back, it's something like Scream, but it had nothing to offer. Now, yeah, Scream is a big dumb thing with pretty people. I still like it, but I really like it. Had nothing. I know. I I, 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 I don't. I don't want to argue with you on that because I I appreciate what you enjoy about it. Because the only reason I watched it was because of Timothy Oliphant and Timothy Oliphant Oliphant, and because you told me it was pretty good. And I just didn't take it. It just didn't touch me. There was nothing that really affected me, and I enjoyed it. It wasn't like I took 90 minutes and thought I was wasted. I just didn't – it didn't have the effect. And the It doesn't have an emotional anxiety. resonance, and it doesn't have a political resonance to it. It's it's more of a, like a general walkthrough. It's more of a proof-of-concept film. It's uh, – I liked um, like the visual aspect of it. I liked uh, some of the performances. I thought it was a pretty solid horror film. I don't think it even be- – Began to touch on the issues that the original Crazies was talking about, though. I will well, give it that. But just as a balls-out horror film, I think it was fun. Well, one of the things that touches me with the Crazies is genuinely, or genuinely, I feel that you are agreeing throughout most of the movie with what's going on, and you feel that you would be doing the same things, and then you get to the end of the movie and find, as usual with Ramiro, it amounts to absolutely nothing uh, good. All of your efforts were in vain. And it's much more crushing. Oh, it's- uh, this is a blow that is more devastating than a lot. Uh, I mean, if the original Dawn of the Dead ending had uh, had gone ahead, I don't think anything would have been quite as nasty as that. But this is devastating. There, this is just uh, almost a two-hour hopeless journey. But that is the struggle of humanity, that no matter what, like I said, you, you might not be bound or destined for some great thing, but you might also struggle your entire life to do one thing. And it might not end up being right. You know, you could be painting something your entire life thinking it's going to be this masterwork. And then you die at uh, 97 years old the day before you finish it of a heart attack. And it's not going to amount to anything. All your time wasn't wasted, though, because it was experience and knowledge and you learned. But in this case, you know, it's pretty graphic, brutal and uh, an unfortunate, sad, dark ending. Very nice. Yeah, I mean, but that's. That's what has to happen. It has to have a nihilistic ending, or the movie doesn't work in itself. If he makes it out with his pregnant wife, then what did we sit here for for 90 minutes? What what was the point? Because well, that again, even, like, that's, that's not what I mean. I mean the fact that he's patient zero and just gets swaddled off. You know, just wow. I don't even know what to say. Like, I, I, you you get to the end of the movie and it's just like wh- uh, what? 
Why? Why did you do that to me, George? What? There's there's no bad guys been the cure the whole time. But that's the thing that is so effective that you you just are left with that pure emptiness. It's just like your fucking girlfriend died. It sucks. It sucks so much. Well, as Romero has put it before, once you upset the apple cart or at the apple cart, the metaphor we were using earlier. Well, he, he set the never goddamn apple cart on fire, shot the donkey, yeah, took so I, the driver of the apple cart and hung them, and then fucking found their family and went to the state their family lived in and fucking killed them too. I mean, it's pretty sad. But why would you want to fix that? Because what what he's trying to express is this drastic change in life, and why would you want to set things back to normal once you've created the chaos? Why would you want this happy well, here, it's not about a happy ending it's about reality to him here's about a what would happen here's a thought of, of to why this ending works that way you see under all this pressure how humans react with each other they become violent angry they begin turning on each other they become hateful filled with greed and rage and this insensitive nature of killing each other over protecting minuscule things that in the long run don't really matter and this is the true core nature of humans fucking and killing uh, and that's all that's going on. If you're seeing the absolute true core nature, and this is what we are doing at our full extent, why would you want to preserve anything? Just let the virus run its course and let the world go back to the birds and the bugs. We are unworthy because we are angry, violent, warmongering, hateful people. This will run its course, and uh, you know the positive flow of the world will be back in place because humans are gone. So you can also look at it at a very author fucking Schopenhauer meaningless Charles Manson are... well I, I'm saying yeah I mean at war is is I think more of a peaceful thing I don't think it's a a, a, a virus needs to kill the earth it's just acknowledging that humans are really awful and that we need to do something about that and maybe not litter and try and save what you have uh, that hippie ideology is similar this is more of a I can't think of the name of the cult that was out there on a spawn ranch too. They had a, a weird swastika logo. Um, the last judgment church of the last church, church of the I last judgment, no something idea. like that. It was pretty much a, a death cult. You know, the human race needs to be wiped out to, to give justice or not justice, give the positive flow back to the world because we're a plague. I don't think Ramiro was that deep, but in a hippie essence of we are back. I don't think we are not. Dark. Yeah. But I mean, it's still, the guys just passed off and they, it's even a, a line of dialogue like, eh, what's the point of checking him? And they just throw him into the pit. And that's just, what's the point that, what is the point, man? What are we doing? We're just fucking each other over largely for a percentage that nobody except like two or three people even get. What's the point? Why go to work? It may be not be that nihilistic. Like I said, I compared it to Schopenhauer, but it's a view. It's a way to look at it. His next yeah, movie, uh, The Juice is Loose, uh, isn't, uh, isn't as nihilistic. We're, we're, we won't be getting into The Juice is Loose. Oh, we're not going to? Oh, really? I thought, oh. I got, oh, man, I did all my work documentaries. on that. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, I have no interest in an OJ documentary. Um, Damn. What a shame. His next you know, people, is probably we had so many film. people excited on, uh, on Twitter. Oh, no, yeah, no, all jokes aside, let's, let's scoot into this because I, I this is probably oh, one of film. my favorite this is probably one of my favorite movies ever made. I think this is my favorite George Romero movie. And it, it really, it's just one of the best movies ever made. 
I'll, I'll it's fight probably you got for a, that. It's got a lot less to say about society. I mean, it does have those overtones, but it's not as um, it doesn't go in so many broad strokes as a lot of his other films. And this is another quiet, more quiet film, like something like there's always, I think it focuses very heavily with the social complex again of xenophobia and the fear of the unknown and that old culture that exists. Well, yeah, you have that cultural standpoint of my dad did this. My dad's dad did this. My dad's dad, dad did this. And this is what you do. This is how you be a man. This is, the retrospective look of what men are like, and if you don't fit that mold, you have to die. Um, so well, again, he's you know, so adherent to the old ways that he's just like he thinks that Martin is a monster, and Martin has problems definitely, but he's not a fucking blood sucking vampire with fangs who like garlic going into effect. He's so adherent to those old ways, though. Um, and he's not really treating the problem for what it is. And Martin is, I mean, it's got a lot to do about mental illness. It's got a lot to do with um, being forgotten at, at that time frame in the 70s. Um, being a teenager, you're starting to be more forgotten. I mean, people are dying, had died in Vietnam. Tons of them died in Vietnam. So you get to that kind of nihilistic attitude of what's the point anyway. And they were just kind of forgotten kids. I mean, well, anyone born in the 70s, you kind of get to that sort of thing because it became all about making money and being ignored, even when you have you a You do have to look at something I said earlier about that time in your life or the period where you realize you might be different or your thoughts are different or your interests are different from the people around you or your family, and you don't have a, a venue or way to express that you reflect upon yourself and maybe sometimes the ideas or things in your head make you feel ugly or make you feel like you're monstrous or you're a, an entity that can't be seen or can't be loved or you're unworthy of love. Your own mind is, is largely capable of being the worst enemy that you could ever have. And sometimes you'll turn to things like substances or drugs to make that better. And in this instance, you have somebody who uh, believes that they're unworthy of love, that they are a monster, that they are a freak, uh-huh. and that the only way that they can feel affection is by lashing out at the world, by seeking justice against these people who can do the pretty things. Right now in the world, it's a, it's a real problem that you have these people that are called incels who, who look at women and they look at men who are in relationships and they have these terms and names for them and are, are, are going out of their way to, to cause harm and to kill people because they can't have a successful relationship because in, inside they are stricken by these incredible mental problems of not being good enough or illusions of grandeur in some cases that they're so great. That's why people don't like them. But in the case of Martin, it's somebody that is deeply affected by themselves, that they've crawled so deep into their own brain, they've looked uh, into the figurative abyss and they find themselves to be hideous, reprehensible, and unworthy. So they are striking at society in any way they can. And it's it's, it's kind of like punk rock, okay, okay. but it's a, a rapist murderer. Try a this as a thought experiment. If you were like, if possibly Romero thought about this, do you think he would have made the character of Martin gay? Because that's a strong overtone that is somewhat felt in the film, but do you think at this point in time he would go back and make Martin gay? Because that's kind of like he's an outcast, and at that time period in the 70s, that that would have been very apt to have someone who's trying to deal with their sexuality and feeling like a freak. Because the one time that Martin does have sex, 
um, that's not some form of fucking weird corpse rape, um, it does affect him. It does make him feel somewhat normal. It makes him feel a little bit normal, more normalized, and that is all thrown in upheaval when he just really picked the wrong reason or the wrong person to do it with because she was a very unhappy woman and ended up killing herself, which affects him more deeply and would have probably pushed him further into his vampiric ideas of himself, of being this, this monster. Well, I don't think it might necessarily be that he was a homosexual. I think it might just play into the fact of he doesn't know who I'm more or what talking he about, is. Could you put that overtone in there? Oh, like yeah. Like if you were going yeah. to remake the film in some way. That's not so much that's what he was saying, but I could see it from that perspective as well as someone who's being thrown as an outcast for who they are, something they can't control, something they have well, zero Romero, control over, and being told that you're a fucking monster because of it. Well, Ramiro touches upon that later in Night Riders, that there's a really great scene that kind of delves into what people like and lines and boundaries that you could cross. But I feel really with Martin that it's just a representation of yourself and those deepest, darkest secrets that really make you feel like you're unworthy. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, that's, that's a good portion of the feelings in Martin is, I mean, I think you were uh, pretty right on with the whole um, incel comparison because that's pretty much what they're dealing with is a generation of people who've just been, left to sit in a dark room and the only connection they can make with anybody is on a, a fucking web forum. And so then it becomes all about making jokes at everybody's expense, basically grouping up like any other group does and having so much bitterness in your life and just wanting everyone else to suffer because of how much you think you're suffering, which is where a lot of young men can possibly go depending on how they are treated throughout their lives because you're basically promised the world, especially if you're a white male. You can do anything you want, and if you're not given those things, especially if you're not given them easily, I mean that's just a natural thing to recoil in yourself and say, what the fuck's your problem? Why didn't you fucking hire me? Because you're like not – a viable candidate. Why don't you want to you have hired sex that with black me? guy? Your personality's bad. You need to work on your personality a little bit. That's but the that problem. Comes right Maybe back there's down. a problem within you. Well, that comes back down to society and the problem with society in general of this male-oriented uh, machismo idea of how you have to be as a man and how you have to fulfill these things or you're not tough or you're a faggot or some hurtful ugly term that really has no meaning that is just people being afraid of something because they don't know how to express their emotions and that's martin you know who knows why he's this way it doesn't really matter it's just the fact that he is and what plays interesting into this is using something as strong as this old world catholic character because you bring the church into this you have this great scene with ramiro uh as a priest coming to dinner and he's, he, you know, he's Ramiro. He's kind of playing himself here. He's a little bit of a laid back priest. He smokes cigarettes. He's, he's hip, you know, he's trying to do different things with the congregation. And, uh, the uncle is just, he, he can't stand it. He can't stand even the guy's presence because he wants this old, the old world has to, this is how tradition was. Look at how strong and how great we were. My great grandfather had 72 goats and I don't even have a goat. So we have to do what my great-grandfather did so I can get 72 goats. That's how fucking nonsensical that, that sounds. Yes. That's what trying to retain this is the person this old... in your family. Yeah, and somebody. you're viewing them as a monster. And or you're viewing you. them as a weak individual. 
It could be something you're doing, though. I mean, it could be looking at another friend or their lifestyle, something they believe in. Uh, even let's look at our perspectives, a little bit more leftist, looking at people that cling to every word of the president, and you look at them like they're stupid. That's really not fair. You think somebody's well, automatically I mean, a bigot or a racist because they voted for Donald Trump? Now, a good majority of the time, I'm going to say that's true, but there is a there's a, there's there's a, few a odd very cases. large portion, but a lot of it is also into basically being afraid. It's being afraid of any sort of change, but it's it's basically no like I know the game is rigged, but I at least know what the rules are that I need to follow. Well, why don't we just Make make new rules like like let's upset this entire game and well, here, start the whole thing over. But I'm already invested in this. I'm already invested well, in the way how, the game is played now. Taking what you just said, even how capitalism works, it's I know the game is rigged, but there's still a chance I can win, so I'm gonna play it anyway. Yes. Well, most people, if you ask them, um, okay, like something like universal basis of income, you're guaranteed say a thousand dollars a month. For the rest of your life, you are guaranteed that, but you have to give up this idea that you're going to win the lottery and you're going to be a millionaire. Most people are not going to take the guaranteed thousand dollars. Well, no, I still, even though the odds are against me astronomically, I'd still like to believe that I can still be a millionaire. Well, it's not going to I happen. I have a chance. I mean, the likelihood that, I, but I have a chance, don't I? So, well, there is I mean, a to me, problem. that's reductive thinking. And here's something that is a theme throughout Romero's films and everything we've discussed so far. If you take away chance or hope, you're really fucked because then you have two people arguing over whether or not they need to be in the basement. So you have to keep that at play. Like with the crazies, you have a little bit of hope that there might, up until the end, that there might be a way out of this. And then he crushes you. And it goes to credits, though. There's no more lingering. It's, it's the end. That's it. That's the show. Uh, with Martin, I think you're left with a very similar thing. It's very hopeless. You can change, and you can try, and you can experience these things. You can sit every day of your life and read about people going out and having a good time and going to a concert and being with their friends, and then you can go do it and have the worst time of your life, and you still get fucked. And in this case, Martin finally figures out a way to join society, how to do what the pretty people do, how to be one of these pretty people, and largely he doesn't like it. And it turns so negatively against him in this domino effect that it causes his demise to a point that that's life, that you follow this idea. You think that you have to do these things to be a part of society, to be a man, to be a person, to be an entity, and it ends up completely crushing you and turning against you because it, it took your whole self away. Yet at the end of it, you had no integrity and you weren't a person. You were just an idea. And like, I think a theme that Romero works with a lot is even though you tried, you tried to get out, you basically – in even relative terms, you tried to get out, out of the basement. You tried to do something. You got smacked down. You, even if you know you're going to get smacked down, you still have to keep fighting. You still have to keep trying over and over again because the idea is more important than achieving the idea. The fact that you're fighting for the idea is more important than actually even getting to the goal. That, well, I think the point is that you, you have to evaluate your goals, that – 
you have this idea that you have to conform and you have to be this way and you have to join this part of society and have a family and a white picket fence or do the sexy stuff as Martin calls it. And you don't, you, you, you don't have to do that. You can do it and break your own back and sometimes kill yourself or die trying to obtain these goals and to fit this mold or form of what people say you're supposed to be, but you're, you don't have to. That's just what this column, what quote-unquote society says. You could be yourself. You could spend your entire life developing yourself and figuring out who you are, which on a personal level I think is, is what you're supposed to do as a human. You, you have this vessel. You're this thing, and you spend all your time trying to fit in and be something else, and you never explore what you're capable of, what you can do, your full potential. And it might not be playing grand piano at uh, Carnegie Hall, but you might do something. You need to fulfill yourself. Yeah. You have to find something to fulfill yourself with and not yes, what society says. Yes, my point isn't so much of the absolute thing, getting that one thing. It's finding the thing that you can achieve and, and getting that. The, my point is basically you just can't give up. On you got to be a peacock. You got to spread your wings. You got to fly. You got to do something. You can't just recoil and go, well... I'm never, like, no one ever loves me, so fuck it. I'm not even going to try to find love ever again. I'm never even da, 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 da. It's like, well, I mean, we don't speak so fast. I mean, I'm not saying you have to just just push yourself 100% into it, but you can't put a wall up and say just never, never, never because of pain I felt. Well, you've got to fucking work through the pain, and you got to, like, even if that means that you're going to be a, a weird little bloodsucker <laughs> for the rest of your life. If that's what but it you is, also that's have to, you have to remember the difference between alone and lonely. You know, it might be beneficial for you to be alone and find out who you are and not conform to society. You could be a late bloomer. I mean, yeah, you can't go back and take time that has happened. The the timelines don't fit like that, but you can still try. You can still be something. Yes. There is value in trying, even if you don't win. All right, so we've got to fucking move on along here and get to consumerism and Dawn of the Dead, where you continue shopping even after you're a fucking corpse. And you continue trying to take over a mall and acquire things like TVs and garbage, even though there's no world to fuck. Like, I mean, this, this theme has also worked in Land of the Dead as well, when um, Dennis Hopper is trying to run away with all the money in Land of the Dead. It's like, well, who do you even gives a shit about money at this point? He just can't give up that relic of the past. And the same thing with Dawn. Everybody's still fighting over all these goods. And yes, stuff like food is important. Don't get me wrong. Like food and water and like acquiring all those things is important. But all this other garbage, you're just a fucking a zombie walking around just like blindly consuming things because you don't know what else to do. I mean, most Americans, when you ask them, what do you do when you're unhappy? Most answers you're going to get is I buy something. They just go buy something for a fleeting like feeling of I've, uh, I've done something. I accomplished something. I bought something new. And then that feeling goes away almost instantly. Well, let's oh, even I take that back. $40 on crap. You ask most Americans, what do you do in general? I mean, what what response are you going to get? Some vapid, dumb statement. I go to the bar. What what do you do? What what are the average hobbies of people? They go and they walk around the mall. They go fill that void with something. 
So it's not even just buying stuff. It's just that fact of like, you know, down to concerts. I'm going to go pay money to see this band because it's yes. something to do. I'm going to go stand here. I'm going to go do it. It's not, you know, oh, well, when I'm bored, I build sheds or tables or, you know, I, I do something constructive. I teach the blind. It's uh, I just I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you do? What are you supposed to do? You get to a point where they have finally made a, a quote-unquote home for themselves, and instead of making things safe, they decorate it. They have extravagant dinners. They're throwing themselves parties and, and just living by the moment when it comes to there is a future that you have to acknowledge in your life and everyone around you. Your actions have reactions. So anything you do might change uh, somebody's entire fucking life, which comes into play when Roger uh, begins acting a fool and gets a little bit too cocky, and he gets bitten. Well, if you get into American value system, and even relate it to a more current political climate, and you have people like libertarians who basically just don't want to pay any fucking taxes at all, um, and when you question them what you want to do with the money, this money you're going to be saving on taxes that they just keep stealing from out of your check, and the answer is like, buy a fucking boat? buy more garbage for myself somebody's starving to death and you don't want to contribute anything to make sh- well they hadn't earned it they didn't want to get the job so fuck them great attitude great attitude to have when somebody's literally dying of no health care that they well, can't afford the any sort of treatment but well, i wanted to vote well that's where people stand and say you know you you should have to do this this and this to be accepted with welfare you know you you should have to have all these fields and goals to jump through but we have the sign outside of the country that says give us you're tired you're weak you're sick and we bring these people over here and then we make Unless them you're tired do what? or weak or sick yeah then i don't Unless want you can to do something functional for this machine instead of us perhaps maybe taking you and teaching you a skill you know, I, I look at it at that angle, like a country like Norway or Sweden that will take an American, uh, let's say you're a nurse, they'll take you and let you teach English and show how they study medicine and let you get your doctorates and learn if you just help contribute to society. But they want to say, no, well, you can't get welfare unless you're drug tested. Well, what does that have to do with this shit? Yeah, well, what's the point of doing that? This, where's the tax money going? Is the tax money going to pay for the drug test? Because we could have just used that same amount of money to give Sally and Joe their fucking food stamps and get them out of the goddamn way. And if he spends his money on fucking dope, who cares? The tax is already it's, paid I, for. I, What's the problem? It's, it's for the greater good. It's the best results for as many people as possible, not on a moral – Equivalence test, which is where we're always at. Is it moral to take money from the government if you don't have a job? Who gives a shit? I want to stay alive. I would like to go to the doctor. I've, I'm fucking getting scurvy for Christ's sakes. Is it moral now, for the government to dictate who goes to war? Is it, is it moral for the government to dictate even your local government who lives or dies? I don't care if a serial killer has cut off the heads of 32 children and fucked them. No one has the right to decide if somebody else gets fucking shocked to death in a chair. That's just not human right. That's not, and I going even against the Geneva Convention or the UN and things like that. Going to a, just a fact that you are a, a living entity, you don't have that fucking right. No one is better than anybody. We are all the same equal bullshit. 
and and just that and a larger consumeristic idea of I have more things than you on my pile makes me better than you, so my life matters more than you is just ridiculous. I have all of this. Uh, let's just say you're a millionaire and you become president, and you suddenly feel that you have the the right over somebody's life because you have earned it. This is my job. This goes right back to season of the witch of having this uh, ideology that you've done something that makes you think you deserve shit. You don't. No one does. You, your mother, no one. No one on this planet deserves anything, even if you, you work for it. You deserve to stay alive. That's about it. You deserve to live, and that's about it. You don't have the right goes. to take anyone else's life. You don't have the right to charge people for water or warmth. If someone can make a blanket, they should be able to sell it. But where's that tax money going to go? What's that going to benefit? Because somebody has to be drug testing these people that are making these blankets. Jesus Christ, who gives you shit? <laughs> all for insurance. It's all for fucking insurance. It's all, but I don't want to know. get slapped with a suit later, so we're just going to make sure that everybody's on the same level here. So, like, okay, how about this? How about we just, uh, have you been drunk in the last 24 hours? Oh, you have? Oh, no job. See how well that works out for you. I mean, it's, it's just a completely archaic concept of controlling life because ultimately what politics are about is I'm correct and you're not, and I have more money, so therefore I win. It's all about force. I mean, it used to be in caveman days, I'm the biggest, the strongest, so therefore I'm the leader, but now it's, but I can buy and sell your ass, and that makes me better. It's like, how how does that decide fucking anything? You still need the smart guy, the athletic guy. You need like you need different groupings of this. You can't you can't all do everything at once with yourself. You need like look at the current administration and it's just a bunch of thugs, and they're terrible at their jobs. But they're just going to try to push everything through, and they can't even do it to where people. Would, like can find it acceptable because it's just so forceful. It's like, w- listen, I'm smarter than you, so just listen to me, and you're just dumb. So here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna cut taxes for the upper one percent, and then it'll trickle down to you. Really, because it's never worked. It's literally never worked because they're not gonna turn loose of it. Oh, they will. They will, and you just need to listen to us. Well, it's not well, working out for you. So where are we going from this now? Well, let's look at our heroes in Dawn of the Dead. Uh, as something you said earlier, our heroes are sometimes turned against us. They're capitalists. They're great. They they come, they find this land, they steal it, they clear it out, they get rid of the population, and they turn it into this great saving place. And they spend all of their time making it this great kingdom for themselves and attempting to keep so protect. many other people – yeah, they, they spend all this time making it a kingdom that when other people finally come, they forget the aspect of human nature and how they took the place in the, in the in the first place. They took this over with extreme force, and they encounter somebody that has gotten more organized, that has become a gang of one embodied tough guy that realizes well, if you're not going to cooperate with us, you can't fight 30 of us. But at the same time, their own ignorance showing human nature, which is displayed just throughout George's career, they crash and burn because of their ignorance. They think we can run in and we can be tough and we can take care of this and we can push everything through and we can wipe these people out, and they can't. Let's use this metaphor. What did they do with the trucks in Dawn of the Dead? 
What do they do? They make a wall. They in front of the entrances. They made a wall. Guess what that wall did? Fucking fuck all. It did nothing because you're going to find a way around the wall eventually. You're going to find somebody who can get around the wall. So it's pointless. It's fucking pointless to try to put up barriers. Well, you exhausted try to so hold much on effort. to this dream. You exhausted so much effort and so much time and energy that one of your core members and one of your leaders ends up being pretty much sacrificed for this cause that in the long run didn't matter. Again, That's you've worked in vain for something. You thought you had this idea that was going to successfully work and you've worked for it your entire life and it came back and bit you in the ass because you weren't thinking. It was literally the first like army, quote unquote, that attacked them, they lost. First bit of adversity they got from another human being, they immediately lost. So, I mean, what was the point in putting the trucks in the entrances, locking everything away? Because you couldn't protect it anyway because you uh, damn near can't protect anything. The best thing you can do is uh, you probably should have just made a deal with the fucking bikers. Well, even, even in that scene, <laughs> you just made what, a deal. what you're – what you're bringing up is my point of they exhaust so much energy just for Roger to be bitten in an act of ignorance. That that's what it, it's a precursor. It's the red herring to what's going to happen. That you become so relaxed with your form of things that you don't accept that there's a new school or a new school of thought that's coming in. Things could have been amicable with the bikers, just like you said. They could have talked things out. Now, would the bikers have come in and done what Captain Rhodes did and turned it to a real shit farm? Yeah. That's exactly what would have happened, and that's why the, the next Dead movie is the way it is, because it's fulfilling that gap and allowing that thought process to, to be coherent and to, to extend. But that's human nature. You, you just don't think. You think what you're doing at all times is the right thing to do, but six months later when you're on a different path, do you ever register in your head that, wow, you were on a completely different wrong angle? No. Yeah. You never and- accept it. And what happens, Roger and Steven both die in trying to protect this object, a thing that holds no inherent value in the current society. We're just trying to hold on to this concept of what America is, and there isn't one. They could have packed everything. They could have had everything on that whirlybird. They could have taken right off, gone to the next mall, stopped, stayed for a couple weeks, Moving, finding other people, getting a bigger helicopter, better transportation, making a force of themselves and being productive and growing and learning with the new way of the world. But instead, they were stuck in their own ways. They were in these big gold perfect towers that couldn't be touched. And the, the domino effect came right down on them. You, they didn't watch their own back door. It's, that, it's your own problem. 90% of the problems, everything that's going wrong in your life usually is because of you. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> mostly, and uh, I mean, we're getting a little bit sure on time here, so we'll just move on into his next film, which was Night Riders, his second best film, according to me. Yeah. Um, no, also, uh, I agree. It's my agree. second favorite. Martin and uh, Night Riders um, are my two favorite Romero films, followed by Day of the Dead. And it's so much about just selling out, not selling out, and like. If you just replace Ed Harris with George Romero and what he was trying to attempt to do was hold on to his friends, his filmmaking friends, this group of people he had gathered together to make these small independent films, knowing full well as the character of Billy that it's not going to last. Tom Savini's going to go off and put on a, like a mankini and like he's, he's going to be a big star and there's nothing like 
nothing I can do about this. I'd like to hold on to this idea, this this un like shat upon idea of what I want, but it's going to end badly. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm fighting the dragon. You can fight I'm the dragon, dragon all you want, but <laughs> but the um, the black bird is eventually going to get you. It's eventually going to come up on you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's your identity and identity politics. And here's the thing: what you think you are and what you see yourself, no one ever will see you as. Every person that you encounter completely sees you differently as a hero, as a fool, as a king, as a blind man. You are always going to be perceived as something differently no matter what you think inside of your head. Most of the time, you're never going to think you are good enough. You are never going to accept that you could be a hero or you could be attractive or you could be loved like in Martin, that you could be anything. And you fight with that, that you have to stand for what you believe in because you're not capable of being something else. And in the long run, you end up not allowing yourself to grow and to become what is your full potential. And that is the big problem with this. And you have it with multiple characters. You have a gay character. And I love this scene because it's so much before it's time. It's just it's utterly groundbreaking. And Ramiro, that he's, he was a groundbreaking man. That's one that's a, a term you could use to, to really just define him groundbreaking. That a character is asked, are you gay? And it's an effeminately acted character, and you're given an idea that they probably are, but it's wrong for you to assume that, and that's the point of the scene where they become offended that why would you even bring it up? What's the point? But later the two characters, uh, one played by Ramiro's wife at the time, come together and, and, and have this term, you know, you shouldn't have brought it up, and they say something hurtful in return, and these two characters discover their nature of, yes, we can be vicious and we can be mean, but we can come to terms and learn to come over things. You One likes to have sex with men, and one is uh, a, 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 a butch, stronger woman in a role that, again, Ramiro putting women in wasn't generally accepted, and it's these two characters admitting who they are and what they are and coming to terms with themselves while no one around them can do the same thing. The Ed Harris character yep. just can't come to terms with that he's accepted and that he is loved and that he is successful and that he is a hero to people. But he's and also people evil to evil. Well, he's he doesn't want to be that. But evil at the same time. You don't always get to be what you want. You know, you 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 start in one direction and something happens and you have to embrace it and you have to allow growth and change and the new flesh to take over and to be something. You have to long live the goddamn new flesh and be a flower, man. You got to grow. You you have to spread your wings. But you get stuck in that old mentality, just like the generational gap that we've been talking about throughout the show. Ed Harris doesn't want to change. He wants to keep his values and what he stands for and what he thinks is uh, the right thing, not allowing growth and the people around him to grow. He's subjecting everyone to negativity and, and, and forcing them. Yeah, he loses, and he realizes that you have to uh, – uh, old saying, but if you love something, let it go, and if it's meant to be, it'll come back. And if Ed Harris had just sold out a little bit. Just a little bit. Hey, you know what? He didn't even he need to sell have out. A little just, control over it. He just needs and to buy in. Like, yeah, well, just a little bit of maybe I will still like still have a little bit of control of this vision that I have because what happens when Savini, who is just a blank slate, says, "Yeah, we'll do it," that doesn't pay off either because they just go way far in the other direction. If you just maybe have like let a little stuff go. Let a little disco music play in the background. Um, you might actually be able to hold on to as much of your dream as you can. You got to sell out a little bit to get a little bit of what you want. Not completely, not even but sell not out entirely. 
let the kids have their disco. What's it going to hurt? You know, literally, as the generation was going on, these that's not music. This rock and roll's for the birds. We only listen to Frank Sinatra in this house. Meh, meh, meh. Time changes, and if you don't, you will be lost and forgotten in time if you don't allow it to move with you. Like Bruce Lee said, you have to be like Wata. And that's what life is, a changing, flowing river, and you have to accept it, or it will be your demise. But sometimes, and in this case, it's like the phoenix. Out of the death, there is a rebirth. There is a new change. People have a new perspective, and they take your legacy and what you stood for, and they turn it to a new belief, you know, like the hippie movement. Uh, even going back to fucking Charlie Manson, he was on to something. I'm not going to go into the Helter Skelter shit, but the Atwash <laughs> shit, he, he was on to something, man. It had a core like belief. Man. Yeah, it just, I don't know. Like we said earlier, the earth deserves to go back to the birds and bugs and, and not people. We? People are You awful. said that earlier. We didn't you, say you, that. You said you're that. a capitalist pig, I forgot. <laughs> no, I b- believe in socialism with some capitalism. You can't entirely go into both. I don't to, think people little bit, little should bit. be like, I, I guess I'm just anti-human, anti-life, you know, like get rid of people, no government, no, because people say anarchy and they think of it as like you know, this punk rock thing. Yeah, I like stuff, but here's the catch. If you're dead, there's nothing to like. And if we're all dead, then the world will be in harmony and regrow and be peaceful. And maybe uh, the deer will evolve into some sort of super bipedal animal and have a perfect harmonious society. Too nihilistic. Too nihilistic, Hank. There is it's hope. It's not nihilistic. I have hope for a dear man future. You have hope with no humans. I'm talking yeah. hope with humans. I'm talking well, of a world that there's still people. But I don't believe in fairy tales. Uh-huh. But uh, with Night Riders, what is kind of interesting and important about Night Riders in his filmography is this theme he's working with of – I would really like to hold together my little small Ren Fair, my little Carney operation act going on here. And then the next film I'm going to do is for Warner Brothers, which is Creep Show. So he did well, end up having to sell out some just to get anything, to just be also, an artist, continue as an artist. The same thing I've been bringing up throughout this this whole thing. Uh, sometimes you grow up and you change and the things you're into aren't what your friends are into and you become your own secular being. You move on. And you have to approach yourself at that point. Do you want to fit in and destroy who you are and what your integrity is to to remain with your clique or your friends or to do these things that is considered fun? Or do you want to go after your dreams and be yourself? And going after your dreams and being yourself is rewarding, but it's it can be lonely. It and can again, get you killed. Yeah, That's it can difference. get you killed. It can be lonely, but... Are, are, are you have to just are you ready to die or are you ready to be alone and if you're not are you ready to die with with the, for this specifically if you're not then you have to stick with your clique you have to fit in you have to be that role and that's going to be what your life is but if you're ready to die Bukowski said this find what you love and let it kill you then you're ready you can move on you can succeed you're ready man and, well I mean there's just now my son you a are a man regard Kipling with um with creep show because it's not I would say a, that philosophical film it's, it's a Stephen um, it's King more of, you know yeah I mean Stephen King wrote it and it's more about it's it's kind of an EC comics thing where it's a just desserts thing where evil is always punished it's um, a horror I mean, now you could say that 
somewhat political, but at the same time, it was Romero's jump into the mainstream a little bit and trying to make a little bit more. I mean, as non-mainstream as that movie is, he still like is using more corporate money. Um, well, it's not that to, it doesn't stand for anything. It just doesn't really fit into the overall ideology. Sometimes you got to make money. Sometimes no. you got to get that job at Burger King, even That's though it's demeaning and it sucks. <laughs> yeah, like you sometimes just got to work sometimes. Money. It sucks, but you um, do it. So after that, we'll just get right back into Dead Pictures and go to Day of the Dead, which was next. And My that is – you want to get into some nihilism, here's your nihilistic film, which is basically, yeah, technically Rhodes is right. Let's just get out of here. What are you even doing? we got to teach yeah. them to behave. What does that mean? And Rhodes well, is right, but brains. at the same time, Lori is right too because we got to at least try. we got to do something until she learns that maybe I just need to lay on a beach. Maybe I just need well, to forget this is, about this old world. That's what babies. Just- very personal for me that uh, I feel it's just a good representation of life and a personal struggle that at one point you want to understand everything around you and you want to learn. And at another point you just have to be cold and you have to know what you're going to do when you're going to do it. And sometimes that takes being incredibly vicious and uh, your heroes like you have brought up throughout this show aren't always the heroes. You know, their Lori isn't right. It, it's not how things are going. You're spending all the time. Well, yeah. Well, you're, ex- you're exhausting resources. You're risking people's lives by sticking and staying down here. Knowing you've scouted the area. It's becoming overrun. You're dropping like flies, but you're insisting. It's not even like you're on a breakthrough for some reversal serum. You, you taught a monkey how to type pretty much. I mean, I don't even know a good euphemism. You didn't really do much here. There, there was no greater well, and, good. You, you figured something well, out, but you need to move to higher ground. You needed to, to, to look at the humanity. I, I think you can wrap this up in the end song from Night Riders, which I think it says a lot about Romero's filmmaking and what he was trying to do over the years. Because the lyric in that song, written by Donald Rubenstein, the big major lyrics are, um, I. I was that I lived through a hurricane. I'd rather live through a hurricane or die in a hurricane than um, never experience the storm. That's kind of the whole point. It's, I'd, you know, you, I, you still do have to try a little bit. It might get you killed, but you still have to try. But ultimately, Rhodes is right, too. So, I mean, that's the duality in Romero again. It's like you have to try, but you also need to know when to hang it the fuck up. You well, you also have to, to acknowledge this is pointless. You have to acknowledge the crowds and the cliques that you don't want to be a part of. You know, you're trying to hold your own integrity and not sell out. You're trying to stick to your guns and what you think is right, even though it might risk other people and it might risk yourself. And that that's just uh, inner turmoil. It's again identity politics. You you feel you're on to something. You might not realize at the time or acknowledge later that it wasn't the right move. You know, the end of this film is them chilling on a beach, no one acknowledging the lives that were put at risk and the lives that were lost for this. I mean, why did John Amplis have to goddamn die the way he did? No, that could have been prevented. Was Frankenstein batshit crazy? Yeah, he'd lost it, man. That guy was was going a little bit south. He but needed he was still to be onto supervised. Something. Yeah, he was definitely he was still onto something. In a direction. But if he'd maybe, so, uh, if humans had learned against their nature, everyone wants to be pigheaded. I'm right. 
I'm right and these people aren't cooperating with me. Well, maybe if you hadn't raised your voices and yelled at each other and dicked and farted around and gone at things knowing this is a military mind, these are right-wing type people, they're not going to listen to me, and approach them differently. You have to look at people. You have to realize that yes. you aren't the center of the world and that these ideas in your head are strictly just in your head. You have to compose them and let other people know what you're feeling and how you're feeling or how is anybody going to manage to react to you. They're not. They're going to treat you with animosity and think that you're crazy because you're not agreeing with them or allowing them to understand you. And that is a big problem with Day of the Dead is both parties will not let each other understand what's going on. The military is doing these things for the scientists. They're risking their lives. They're getting these zombies, but they don't know what's going on. They just know this guy is drilling them and doing weird stuff, and they're sleeping trust in the me. same room. Just trust me. Yeah, I mean, you have that's... to expound why. You have to let people know why. You can't just say you have the biggest dick. You have to pull it out and let people see it. That sounds wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, metaphorically. <laughs> in, in real life, that's <laughs> metaphorically. There we go. <laughs> yeah, don't ever expose yourself to people to prove that you are a superior in a situation, but metaphorically, in a, in a situation you well, think look at is that, brain. 10 inches. Yeah. <laughs> I'm president um, now, right? Get the it's okay. All right, yeah. Where's my yeah, crown? I, mean, I love my cake. And in uh, in Day of the Dead, it's just you have this battle over who's correct and who's correct. And honestly, neither of you are really fucking correct. You're a, a fucking dictator. You're trying to run a dictatorship down here, going which is not to going a, to work. And you're trying to run the science thing that's not going to work. Well, it's the same thing. Like you two assholes arguing just got everybody killed. And in this situation, you have the same barber character with Salazar of like, okay, you guys made fun of him, and you fucking belittled him until he's just he, – he got you all killed. You picked on the poor prick until he just flipped out and got everybody killed. That's what happened. Don't pick on people. Yeah. That's not nice. <laughs> Bling is going to get you eaten alive, quite literally. Um, but yeah, it's just this – it's always – it's so much more about that power dynamic. Uh, that is so present in Romero's films, and um, it's even uh, present in his next film, uh, Monkey Shines, which has a power dynamic in it as well. It's a power dynamic of man and beast, the um, inherent nature of man to be a vicious animal all at the same time. Uh, it's based on a book, so it's not wholly Romero's idea, but uh, he took the idea and ran with it. So, and it's and again, it's so just the control a aspect. You, oh, yeah. I'm in charge. I know what I'm doing. I'm right no matter what risks this can take, no matter what cost this has on humanity or the nature of people around me. I'm going to go ahead and do this because I think I'm right. Yeah, and like there's a viciousness inherent in all humanity, and how much do you let that take over? And how does that make you different from just a, a, a fucking animal? Um, and you find, like, he, the man in the wheelchair finds out when all of his powers are stricken from him that he's not much different than an animal. Uh, he he's, gets very rage. Well, I mean, you got some pseudoscience thrown in there why he's doing these things. But that's, I mean, that's what it's really about is just his dark side coming to the front, his anger towards his affliction and all the people he blames for it. He ends up having killed by this monkey because he, he just doesn't cannot want to control his his rage and his yeah his rage and anger this is your new life get used to it man i mean like you're just gonna have to stop being so fucking angry and rageful about it but it sucks I mean, but that's life most things where you're at you got to work with it this is the cards you've been dealt and he just 
forces past it and just keeps trying and trying and trying. And it just makes him so rageful that that, that rage gets out and basically kills everyone he's ever loved. Um, although he does end up getting the girl at the end, his other girlfriend, who was, yeah, she wasn't the best person on earth, but did she deserve to die? <laughs> I mean, she did leave him in a wheelchair, but at the same time, did she deserve to die for that? Well, that goes back to you know my rampant statement of no one really has the power to dictate taking somebody's life away from somebody, taking somebody's energy, their their entity. You don't really have that power. No matter how strong you think you are, you you just you shouldn't take it. You you don't have that decision well, it makes you to a, kill it somebody. Makes you less human. You're like, let's just admit what the death penalty is right now. It's not justice. I mean, there's no such thing as justice. That's a fucking random term that you're used to describe some feeling. But at the end of the day, the death penalty is blood revenge. I'm not saying I'm pro or against the death penalty at all. What I'm saying is let's just call it what it is. It's revenge. It's an eye for you're an getting eye. blood revenge. Yeah. You're going it's, from an I archaic mean, term of justice that is, uh, you know, sure, biblical. That's 2,000 years ago when somebody it's stole. It's a philosophic I mean, term. But at the same time, in our culture, we'll belittle other ones in Africa or the Middle East that somebody steals and they get their hand cut off. But we're doing the same thing, just on a smaller scale. One person kills, so we're going to kill them. Where's the difference? What? Who is the real monsters? Well, if you really cared, you would like you would focus more time, money, and attention on like rehabilitation, but fuck that. Once you're a criminal, you're done in America. It's just like, no, you're a criminal. You deserve all of this. You need to like you need to pay for all this. Like, what's that gonna do? That's just gonna There's fucking no make a, like a smarter, harder criminal just because now they're pissed because they're in jail. It hasn't There's no allowance solved for anything. It's expedited you know, it. the problem. Moving your thought process and your entity is not allowed. Once you do something, you're defined by that. There's not a thought that 10 years later you could be a different person. And, and like, largely, there's a lot of beg me vice articles. Well, you know, you can What's see where people were, were former skinheads. They're hardcore neo-Nazis 10 years ago, bound with swastika tattoos and all sorts of hate symbols that learn their mistakes and get them removed. And, and you can't say that, well, once a Nazi, always a Nazi. They've changed. You have to give allowance that people can change, and it's the same uh, fact when it comes to felons. Just because somebody committed a violent crime doesn't mean 10 years later they might be different, you know, or might not be different. Well, let's – you try to actually, like, change their way of thinking. You don't – like, locking them up like an animal. I mean, again, I'm not 100 percent, like, against prisons and all this stuff. It's just you need to think about this a little bit differently and think about it as – you're not solving a problem by locking anybody up. The only problem you're solve- solving is literally just getting them off the streets. This punishment 50, thing is well, putting just 50 not murderers like, in a You put 50 murderers in one room, you're not going to teach them all a lesson. They're just going to learn how to murder more. Learn to murder better. Like how did I get caught? Let's, I mean, what you need is to change their thinking about things, and when you start treating them like an animal, you're not changing their thinking because then they just start assuming, well, I am an animal. So maybe I don't deserve any sort of forgiveness. Maybe I – like why would I fucking try to work myself into a system that has put me in the place I'm in now? Well, you put yourself there. Well, yeah, but there's other factors to that. Like just because you got caught selling weed – 
on the streets doesn't mean you're a goddamn criminal. It means you were trying to make money to feed your family and uh, numerous other things. And you probably weren't giving – not everybody just jumps immediately to drugs. There's a lot of like I don't have any opportunities. This is the most money I'm ever going to be able to make. I just have to do it as an outlaw because otherwise I'm fucked. Otherwise I'm just going to starve to death. So you have to take that in consideration when you sentence people, and we don't do that a lot because you just look like – you can't be so concerned about the punishment. You have to be concerned more about changing a person because the punishment itself does not do anything. It just eliminates sticks, something from society, out of sight, out of mind. That's largely sticking with the theme of what's wrong with society is people's inability to learn or express themselves in any other way. They buy something when they're depressed. They go walk around the mall to fill time instead of learning anything about the people around them or learning about themselves. And when something doesn't go their way, they treat it with animosity. And when you don't understand something, well, that's not traditional. That's not how we do things. That's not how life is. We largely, uh, from the United States to Australia to anywhere you can name in the fucking world, are one and the same. We just well, – we're a very regressive race. We're, we're never going to learn, and we're going to continue stepping well, I backward. I do not believe in this concept of evil. No, Jeffrey Dahmer was fucked up in his head. He really was. I mean, it's like, and, I'm, well, I'm not saying what he did wasn't evil. A lot of the time, people are blaming other up. people. They had a bad childhood. It's so awful. No, sometimes people are just fucked in the head, too. It's not just they were raised a certain way or nature over nurture. It's not even just evil. Sometimes people are fucked up. Like, when you crack an egg and it's completely perfect but you're trying to fry it and it still just pops in the middle. Sometimes people's brains do that. Sometimes they're just fucking born weird. It, it's not just good or evil. Sometimes people just go, I'm going to kill that dog. And they go kill that dog and they don't feel anything. It just happens. And we have to examine these people and find out why do these things happen? Cause a lot like look at a lot of the serial killers over there. It's like even, John Wayne Gacy, who is a complete and utter fucking scumbag, but at the same time, he was raised by a violent father who used to beat the shit out of him if he was like, don't you ever turn out gay, and he could not deal with being a homosexual is what John Wayne Gacy was. He was gay and refused to admit it. He still never met him when he went to the chair. It's like, no, nah, none of that shit ever happened, but it was so driven into him that is the most negative thing you could possibly be that being a fucking serial killer is better than being gay that's fucked well, up you even have somebody very similar to martin uh with robert berdella who is a very similar serial killer if not i think more prolific with his body count than gacy uh buffalo bill was somewhat based on him a, a homosexual serial killer that just was known he was he was out and proud as gay but he was he wanted to be so controlling that he would find these people and torture them and just uh, reading about his cases is, is a horrific nightmare and very upsetting. Uh, same similar thing with John Wayne Gacy. He was raised by a domineering mother in this case that just wouldn't come to terms with the fact that he was homosexual and forced him into you know, a very bad place mentally, but I still don't always take that. That's just not an excuse. I didn't have a perfect it's not childhood. It's an excuse. It's just a cause. It's well, no, that, I, I know in these things, but most people want to take it and make it a full excuse to give humanity to these situations as to where sometimes the answer isn't as elaborate as you want it to be. Sometimes people are just fucked up. It's weird. Animals do it too. Sometimes people are just fucked up. 
you got to take out the aspect of good and evil that sure there's positive and negative and some things are just inherently negative and draw negativity and that's just that's what life is it's feeding off of pain and suffering people get off on that some people's entire lives are just the sorrow of others i'm sure you know a person that just constantly has to be talking about what other people are doing or what their business is or shit talking because they think that they're doing something better and their high protected tower that they moved trucks outside of to not let the bikers in you know what i mean there's always something like that feeding off negativity it might not be evil but it could manifest as its own entity as a person or just a feeling that or you know a room that draws just this bad feeling out of you because you've let it become real you've let this negativity happen and people are the same way some people are just fucking drawn to it well and also i mean so much of that is about power and people who have are obsessed with power. That's why a lot of serial killers end up being is I have an idea in my head of what I want life to be like. And it so fucks with me that like eventually I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And I want absolute power of this individual life and death choices because I have no power. I feel like I have no power and this is going to give me actual power. So because it's weird fucked up power struggle thing. Well, drawing into another Ramiro movie, you've got the Dennis Hopper character in Land of the Dead that uh, almost like Negan in The Walking Dead was just a nobody beforehand but took an opportunity to become this power-hungry fear-monger using almost explicitly fear of the unknown to power people into doing their bidding. And that's the world. <laughs> Donald Trump. That's, 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 oh, God damn. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, what was that? Were you? I, I didn't. Did you? You have a cough. It sounded like you uh, were talking about something. Well, I don't see much difference there between <laughs> a serial killer and him because it's the same no, struggle. I, I, it's the same thing of power. It's the same thing of is, no. Now I'm this power. I'm better than there, you. Well, there recently is this strong fascination with serial killers going on in the world with this Ted uh, Bundy documentary. And I, I watched it a couple of days ago and I just couldn't help but draw the comparisons between Ted Bundy and uh, the president of the United States of just these egomaniacs that think, yeah, I'm the best. I have so much power. You don't even know how much power I have. I have so much power. I have the best power. I went to and the yeah, school. I'm going to do illegal shit, but I'm not going to get caught. And I'm, I'm going yeah, to do it in front of you. God, they even both run to Florida to go do illegal shit. It's, Awful. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. What the hell? What are the, what are you, what, what's going on here? <laughs> Did we just figure something out? I don't know. Is Donald Trump a serial killer deep down? Uh, possibly. Possibly, yeah. Um, well, he just doesn't we, care, care about serial killing. That's a strong possibility as well. Well, the big two comparisons here is, is they don't care. You have people that just don't care about anything. And um, something George Romero fought through most of his career is people that didn't care about anything. They wanted a certain thing out of him. They wanted zombies. They wanted zombies. That's really what they wanted. Just do it again, George, and we don't really care. They wanted an idea. They wanted a movie concept. They didn't want politics. They wanted, well, you got to have more gore in this one. Well, it's not all about gore. It's also about this, 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 and this. You have to fit a role. Well, you know, it's demanding that you have to fit a role and that this is what you have to be in society. And uh, Romero just just largely wasn't about that. The end of his career, you could see where he tried almost at the wrong time to buy in. And uh, like many of the characters in his movie, he kind of succumbed to his, his own death fighting the, the big black bird because he never got 
really what he wanted to do done. And he's gone. You know, he passed away in Toronto. The, what, what was it? A, a quick but bitter fight with lung cancer, which we all knew was going to happen. The man smoked heavier than oh, yeah. us or I guess me. You don't smoke anymore, but I'm smoking right now. One for George Romero. But you have to look <laughs> at maybe things didn't get done his way. He didn't get his swan song, but he fought. That's the point. He survived. And that's your point, our point, everybody's point. We're all humans. We're all the same thing. Stop being afraid. Stop being afraid of your neighbor and stop looking at your neighbor and looking what they have. The only time you should ever look at somebody else is to see what they need, not what they have. That's what we have to do as, a, as not a society, as a person, you, as an individual listening to this. That's what you have to do. That's the only way to survive. Well, none of the, like none of this matters. Like, well, I have a kid now, and I really need to buy a house. Why do you need to buy a house? Well, the kid deserves to live in a house in the backyard, and it's like, kids gonna be fine. Kid could grow up in an apartment. It doesn't. You want the kid to have a house. Love you is what powers a kid. It has nothing to do with a kid. It has everything Toys, to do with your backyard. weird concept of what life is and accomplishments are. The things that you didn't have in life aren't going to make your kid's life better. What's going to make your kid's life better is genuine love and compassion. What's going to make all, all human life is going to be better with love and compassion. If you love the person next to you, even if you don't know them and treat them with kindness, surprisingly, they might treat you the same way. And if they don't, then walk away and go away and, and remember who you are. Don't try and impress other people. Don't try and feed into other people's negativity. If it's something that's hurting you, Evaluate how important you are because you're important. Everybody is, and you need to follow Even that, and that's what George Romero did. He followed what he Even believed Even though we uh, don't have money, I'm so in love with you, honey. That's what yeah. life is about. You just got to try. You just got like, to try to make your way and not get fucking pissy about it and just keep fighting and like keep your wits about you and like – you can sell out, but know why you're selling out. Know what you're selling out for and how much power you're like. Don't 100% sell out. Sell out a little bit. Like, it's not about, like, it's not about numbers, folks. It's about holding on to your humanity and your own, like, morality, not just making a bottom line so irrelevant to life in general. Well, unfortunately, we are way out of time, but I think the massive point and something that you should take very close to heart is be like George Romero. Struggle, try, fight, lose, win. Uh, art is, is failure. Uh, Samuel Beckett said that. Art is failure, and failure is the solace of someone's mind that is screaming. Keep working. Believe in yourself. And believe in the person next to you. You don't know what they're going through, and you don't, you don't know what they're thinking. You don't know how you look through other people's eyes, and you just got to work. And Keep working. Term- don't give up. Winter Beast is a failure, but it's an amazing failure that is amazing and touches people with its failure. Your failure (laughs) might bring somebody else joy. You don't know what you chalk up as failure might bring success and joy and happiness to somebody else. So keep trying. That's that's the Death by DVD motto. Just keep trying. We do. uh, I guess that's our words of wisdom. We didn't play the piano theme, but before we get out of here, uh, two hours of words of wisdom. (laughs) Two hours of of, of heavy, heavy things to think about and to run through your mind. Uh, The the ending song tonight actually plays really into something we talked about. This is from Dawn of the Dead. 
Good night. Have a pleasant tomorrow. Thank you guys for uh, 10 years. Whew. Well, we had to cut the ending out of that one because guess what? We didn't have the licensing for it. You can find that song. It's by Electric Banana. It's be called Because I'm a Man from the Dawn of the Dead soundtrack. But that brings us to the end of the very first Death by DVD classic. As you can hear, the bottle is now empty and the ashtray is full. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Death by DVD Classics. You've been listening to Death by DVD Classics.